Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Want to know a secret? Well, of course you do. Everybody wants to know a secret, right? But I was actually just giving you the title of my sermon tonight. Want to know a secret? Some people like to keep track of that. And that's the name. Do you want to know a secret? But not to disappoint, I will be sharing with you a very incredible secret before we're done tonight, for sure. Before we get to my secret, though, I want to ask something from you first, an unofficial poll or study here. I want to know how many of you make it to Christmas morning before opening any presents at all. That is, you don't open any tonight, Christmas Eve, everything on Christmas. Just one hand? Oh, there's two. Okay. You guys are in the minority there. So, okay. Um, Well, that's interesting. Um, I knew someone once who told me that she had absolutely zero tolerance for anticipation. She could not delay gratification when it came to knowing just exactly what, what was under the tree all wrapped up so nicely. Have you ever known someone like this? It seems like there's one maybe in every family, someone that tends in that direction. But I'm telling you, this little Christmas sneak had it really bad. What she would do as a little kid is feign sleep at bedtime, right, to throw mommy and daddy off her scent. Then when nothing was stirring, not even a mouse, she'd get up with her extra roll of scotch tape and she'd go downstairs and proceed to open all of her presents and then continue the binge by opening up everybody else's presents as well. Might as well, you you know, you got to start there. And she got so good that it meant when she stole the Christmas morning uh, commotion, I mean, during all the Christmas morning commotion, no one even noticed. She did such a nice job rewrapping it with her tape and everything. And she was enjoying the little moment with a sly smile on her face, she said. So that's a pretty bad case of the I can't wait for Christmas compulsion. Turns out, though, Uh, In a sense, her fixation is scientifically validated. One of the studies done on this behavior was conducted by researchers at Modal University in Vienna. So it's even a European thing. What they found is that the power of secrecy, in this case, the not knowing what was under all that enticing wrapping paper, that state of mind registers a stronger emotion than actually receiving the, the gift itself, uh, you know, once it's unwrapped and the identity of that gift is known. It's that last second, though, uh, the last moment of a thrill that's the worst or the best, depending on how you look at it. And they studied the intensity of anticipation and the initial thrill of someone finding out what once was hidden to the eye and is now unveiled to the understanding. So if you have one of these midnight gift raiders, rewrappers in your family, and I'd venture to say that everyone's got someone, like I said, who's a bit more vulnerable than others in this way, you might just consider wrapping a bunch of white elephant gifts in real fancy wrapping paper or just paying that extra few dollars for the lady at the mall to wrap it for you. Uh, what you spend on wrapping, you make up for on the gift because they don't really care what the gift is about. So anyway, just an option. So now looking towards our Christmas Eve epistle reading for tonight uh, in Romans chapter 16, 
This is the last chapter in Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. And it's chock full of enticing words that are all related to this idea of secrecy or hiddenness. Uh, let me read a, a few for you. Quote, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret since long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations. So that's really stacked with all sorts of mystery and hiddenness and secrecy. So if you are an obsessed secret spoiler, those two or three verses from Romans that St. Paul penned, um, that's probably got you salivating right about now. We're going to get into it. Uh, And if you look at the original Greek, it only gets better. The word for revelation in verse 25 is apocalypsis. We love that word, especially right now in these days. It's definitely a, a buzzword. After apocalypsis comes the mousterion. You can guess what that is. That's mystery. That uh, Paul says about this mystery, it was kept secret for long ages. Kept secret for a long time. There is your mention of an ancient secrecy, but now, says Paul, this secret has been disclosed. And that word disclosed comes from the same root word from which we also get our modern-day English word, epiphany. So there you go. Uh, You can say that it takes having an epiphany to see and understand that that gift, which for so long had been under wraps, hidden away in one way or the other, the substance and the fulfillment of all that secrecy sprinkled throughout the Old Testament's historical narratives, Psalms, and of course the apocalyptic writings in the Old Testament, like Daniel, Zechariah, and of course Isaiah, the disclosing, as Paul calls it, all leads to this, a little baby boy in a manger. And he's wrapped up, just like the angel said, in swaddling clothes. As I read before, the the babe is still there when the shepherds follow through on the direction from the angels that the Lord sent. And it's an interesting little fact that the angels were sure to point out to the shepherds that he was swaddled in those clothes. It's kind of interesting. As we're talking about wrappings or veils, uh, if you will, that goes even deeper now than you think. For even after removing those swaddling clothes, an unplumbed mystery still remains lying there. And I think of the song that we just sang a few moments ago, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Veiled in Flesh, the Godhead See, Veiled. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, God with us. But he's, he is veiled with flesh now. And so Charles Wesley was as blown away, I suppose, as all of us are by that, trying to get our mind around that. Your eyes behold one thing, a harmless, helpless, little infant, and yet the angels, and later on in the Gospels, the demons even, also recognize the one here. They understand who Jesus truly is. He's truly one, infinitely more powerful than they, and more majestic than any other being in the entire universe. Indeed, the universe itself cannot contain this one whose 
cradled uh, in a manger. This one to whom our Christmas carols and our hymns attribute the highest glory, the purest praise and worship. This one who spoke and the universe came into existence. This one is paradoxically now taking part of his own creation, entering time and space, uh, and that space being a humble stable, amidst the most unlikely combination of man and animal to welcome him in. When Luther surveys the creche, the manger scene, he identifies with the ox and the ass. That's how he puts it. Um, there are shepherds, of course, angels, and um, the wise men get there later. Don't put them into the manger scene too soon. It will take Jesus' own disciples later on in this greatest story over, ever told. It's going to take them years to finally grasp the full weight of who this mysterious teacher is. And um, they are even asked point blank by Jesus several times, direct questions, who do you say that I am? And they find themselves sometimes getting it partially right and sometimes being terribly off, which I imagine we would be if we were there. Even Mary, Jesus' own mother, who had the benefit of one of God's angels actually visit her to predict that first Christmas morning. And while she pondered all these things in her heart, our gospel lesson today says, uh, she got things wrong sometimes about her son as well. And so there's this that probing song. We didn't sing it here, but down in our contemporary service tonight, we sang that song about Mary. Mary, did you know? And it's quite a probing song. Let me read one of the lines. Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? Mary, did you know that when you kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face of God? Well, that's amazing, amazing thought. Now, an even older song that we did sing just a few moments ago, Of the Father's Love Begotten, written by one Aurelius Prudentius in the late 300s. So the church has been singing that song now for 1,700 years plus, something like this. And it's amazing. Uh, and I think the author meant business when he said forever, evermore and evermore. I think we'll be singing that all the way until the second advent when the Lord returns. So um, that song transcends cultures, geography, centuries. So it's amazing, and it's a, it's a privilege to be able to sing it tonight. So this, Christ, this Christmas hymn also testifies to the deity, though, of this little babe in the manger, the little babe whose nature is both 100% God and 100% man still remains a mystery. Of course, our human understanding is limited, Here's a quote from what we just sang. And the babe, the world's redeemer, first revealed his sacred face evermore and evermore. God had a face for people to behold. God went face to face with his disciples on a daily basis, and then with his enemies even, face to face. And yet God warned Moses way back when, millennia ago, no one can see my face and live. So this was a very special thing. 
So holy, holy, holy is our God that we as sinful fallen creatures would disintegrate before in his very presence. Kind of like Isaiah in chapter 6 where he says, Woe to me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people with unclean lips and I'm in the presence of God's throne room. And so um, if God did not veil himself in one way or the other when he appeared to people, these people would just be ash. Paul picks up on this and says that this thrice holy God who, quote, alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen nor can see. No man has lived to see God's unmediated face, his whole person his true glory unobstructed, the God who created the stars, the suns, many suns out there in the universe, thousands of times more powerful than even our own blinding sun in in our sky. This God, our God, is a consuming fire, the author of Hebrews says. Sinners cannot withstand God's fierce holiness. He's unapproachable. And so, of course, our God would strike terror. And even the bravest of the foolishly brave on our planet Earth, this is why Luther doesn't hesitate to include in his small catechism as a definition for the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear and love and trust in God above all things. But every instance where one of God's angels, just God's messengers now, whenever they appear before man or before woman in Mary's case, people are horribly, dreadfully frightened. That's just for one of God's angels. Now just imagine what it would be like if God himself showed up instead of Gabriel and forgot to veil himself in any way, fashion, or form. We would most certainly die. But God doesn't forget things, thankfully. And he showed up as a little babe in a manger, just to kind of twist the storyline a little bit. Now listen to Martin Luther's take on this regarding the Christmas miracle and how it makes all the difference in the world. Quote, let us then meditate upon the nativity as we see it happening in babies around us babies. I would not have you contemplate the deity of Christ, no, the majesty of Christ, no, but rather his flesh. Look upon the baby Jesus. Divinity may terrify us. Inexpressible majesty will crush us. That is why Christ took on our humanity, yet without sin, that he should not terrify us, not crush us, but rather that With love and favor, he should console and confirm. Look at that child and forget all other thoughts, that all that is and has been and ever shall be belongs to that babe in the manger. And let that, your conscience, comfort um, in the baby face of the Christ child. Jesus, the word made flesh, our lowly Christ child, he became one of us, so he could wrap us in his righteousness and bring us into his eternal kingdom of light where all secrets are made known. Christ is born to forgive both you and me, and that's no secret. Go tell it on the mountain. 
Amen. Christ is born today. Now may this Christ who began a good work in you bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.